Soulful sounds of Sam Canoli. Man, it is good to see you guys this weekend. And I've watched that 2019, the stuff that God has done around Hope over the past year. I've seen it four times this weekend, and it blows my mind. I have to pinch myself every surface to remind myself that some, for some odd reason, God allowed me to be a part of this. I, I always, also say, always say in the Bible, if you, know, if you put pictures in the Bible like you did in dictionaries, my picture would be beside the verse that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, right, right. But it's been a great, great year, and I have every reason to believe that we're going to finish strong. Uh, we already have over 19,000 tickets out for Christmas Eve, 
And uh, I think a lot of people are going to show up. They're going to hear the gospel. Lives are going to be changed. It's going to give you an opportunity to begin to have a conversation with someone that maybe you've never had before. So invite. Let people know what Christmas was really all about, how God through his son Jesus Christ can actually change a life, fix a marriage, put a family back together. It's amazing what God can do. And I know we're going to finish strong financially. There are already signs that that's going to happen. It's really going to position us. Uh, God has laid some incredible opportunities in front of us for the year uh, 2020, and it's going to position us in a place to be able to do that. Now, if you're visiting this weekend for the first time, uh, we have been in a series that we're calling Life Lessons. They've been based on some of the lesser-known stories in the life of David, and a great weekend to be here because we're actually wrapping up the series, and I am so glad that we are wrapping up this series because I love teaching on David, but every time I do, it just kicks my butt. So I'm kind of I'm glad we're putting David to rest for a while, right? But we're going to wrap it up this weekend by not going to 2 Samuel, where we spent most of our time. We're going to go to the book of Matthew, okay? Matthew chapter 1, and so if you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We're going to put the verses up on the screen, and I know what some of you are thinking. Well, Mike, why are we going to Matthew chapter 1 when all of the lesser-known stories and all of the well-known stories of David are located in the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Samuel, and the book of 2 Samuel. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. We're going there because it's Christmas. And how can I preach this weekend and not talk a little bit about Christmas, right? So let's go to Matthew chapter 1 before we go to 2 Samuel. And I want you to understand in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew is getting ready to write his book. He's getting ready to tell us what God did for us when he sent Jesus to be born in Bethlehem that first Christmas. And as he does that, he goes way back into Jesus' family tree to introduce us to some of Jesus' relatives. Now, let's be honest. We all have some wacko relatives, right? But I'm telling you right now, this group is a colorful bunch. And so he's going to do that. And the point of this genealogy is to prove to the Jews of the first century, and by the way, that's Matthew's target audience. People often ask me, hey, Mike, why do we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? It seems like they're telling the same story. Well, we don't have four Gospels. We have one Gospel given from four different perspectives. For example, Matthew was a Jew, and he wrote from the perspective of a Jew. Mark was a Roman. He wrote from the perspective of a Roman. Luke was, a Greek, was from Greece, and so he wrote from the perspective of a Greek. John had a different perspective altogether. But we have one gospel, four different perspectives. And so Matthew, he's getting ready to prove to the Jews in the first century that Jesus is actually related to the person that we've been talking about in this series, that Jesus is related to David. And so you'll notice very first verse, Matthew chapter 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. There's our guy right there. And you have probably heard that a billion times, but you've never probably paused to think about the significance of that little statement. In fact, let me just give it to you again. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. And then later on in verse 6, when Matthew actually gets to David in the genealogy, he highlights something about David's life. And the reality is this, there's a lot of stuff he could have highlighted. He could have talked about David the shepherd, David the warrior, David the singer, the songwriter, the poet, David the giant slayer. You know, he could have talked about David the great king of Israel. But I want to show you what he highlights, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. We know Abraham as the father of the Jews, right? Father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah. Pause for a second. That was one messed up dude. In fact, Judah, do the story, read the story on your own. Judah was such a pervert. Honestly, it's hard to preach about him in church. That's how bad a guy is. He's in the Bible, but you can't really talk about him because he was so messed up, right? So you got Judah and his brothers, and then you got Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah. By the way, many of you, when you're reading through the Bible, this is where you just close the Bible and stop, right? This kind of stuff, right? 
whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, which is not Salmon, it is actually Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab the what? The harlot, the hooker, the prostitute, right there in the family tree of Jesus. I tell people all the time, Rahab put the ho, ho, ho in Christmas. You know what I'm saying, right? It's, it's, it's right here in Jesus' genealogy. So you got Rahab. Then you got Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. And this is where Matthew pauses and gives us a little extra commentary. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. All right, question. Who was Uriah's wife? Bathsheba. And we all know about the story of David and Bathsheba. Now I want you to think about the significance of that statement. Of all of the great things that Matthew could have said about David, why would he choose to include this? David was the father of Solomon whose mother was Bathsheba. I'm glad you asked that question because that's what I'm going to talk about this weekend. But before I do that, I need to review the story to show you how all of this ties into the birth of Jesus. I mean, it's Christmas, right? And uh, maybe you weren't here for the series, so let me just begin by telling you. The story of David began, think about this, in Bethlehem. Began in Bethlehem 1,000 years before Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem. And it began when you know the story, God told the prophet Samuel, go to Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Because that's where David lived. To the house of Jesse. Jesse has eight sons. I'm sick of King Saul. I'm tired of him being the king of Israel. He's made a lot of screw-ups, a lot of mistakes. We need a new king in Israel. One of, one of Jesse's boys is going to be the next future king of Israel. So Samuel, you go there. You're going to walk and pass in front of each one of these boys, and I'm going to let you know which one is the next king of Israel. And Samuel follows directions to a T. He goes to Bethlehem, knocks on the house of Jesse, says, line them up, passes right in front of all of them. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. I'm not getting the vibe. So he's like, hang on a second. One, two, three, four, five, six. It's only seven. Jesse, I thought you had eight. Well, I do have eight. Well, where's the eight? Well, a little runt, I'll take care of the sheep. Well, you need to go get him. So they go get David. They bring him in. David stands there in front of Samuel, and Samuel's like, you're the one. David's like, the one for what? You're going to be the next king of Israel. And David's like, cool. You know, and he runs right back out to take care of the sheep. And as we've learned in this series, sure enough, eventually this snot-nosed teenage boy grew up, became a man, and he became the next king of Israel. Now, Fast forward for years. David's been a king for a while. The nation of Israel has been established in the now promised land. It is now the nation of Israel. And when you establish, you plant vineyards and you build houses. And so David now, the great king of Israel, has an incredible, beautiful, palatial palace. And he's living in this palace. But he's walking around one day, and maybe he looks out the window and he sees the tent of meetings. We talked about that one week. And what was in the tent of meetings? The Ark of the Covenant, where God lived. God in a box. Remember, that's why Harrison Ford wanted it so much in Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? He looks out and he says, something's not right about this. I am in, living in this beautiful palace and God is still in a tent. I am going to build God a permanent home. I am going to build God a temple. Now, this becomes the pivotal part of the entire message I'm going to talk about this weekend. So you get to 2 Samuel, and right after David gets this idea, I am going to build God a temple Nathan, who's the new prophet on the scene, because years later Samuel has passed away, he goes to David and says, David, you're not going to build God a temple. And David's like, why not? He says, because you're a man of war. you got blood on your hands. If, if somebody's going to build God a temple, he's going to be a king of peace. So you're not going to build the temple. However, here's the good news. 
This is what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 9. God said through Nathan, I will make your name great. David, your name is going to be great like the names of the greatest men on earth. Wow. So let me ask you a question. How many of you before I even started this weekend, you had heard, raise your hand, if you've heard of King David before. Just raise your hand if you've heard of King David. And you know what that means? That means that we are a part of the fulfillment of this prophecy. I mean, how cool is that? We all have heard King David, and God said we're all going to know who King David is. His name is going to be great. By the way, I just got back from Israel with about 52 of you here at Hope. And we're going again, by the way, in April of 2021, so start saving your nickels and dimes. But when we go to Israel, we go as far south in the Sinai Desert if you, as you can go in Israel, and we start at the Dead Sea. And then we work our way all the way up to the Damascus border in the northern part. And then we go to the Sea of Galilee. And then we go out to Caesarea by the sea, and we go to Haifa, and then we make our way back into Jerusalem, or up to Jerusalem, it's literally about a mile climb, to get to Jerusalem where we spend the last few days. Everywhere you go in Israel, as you would expect, there's archaeological digs all over the place. Archaeology, it's a heyday in Israel. And every time they, you know, turn over a spade of dirt, it's like, it's like they, they prove one more time that the Bible is true. And as you're going around Israel, you find all of these references uh, through, through artifacts and all to people like Joshua or, or evil King Ahab. You may remember Ahab. Or people like Abraham. Or how about King Herod? I mean, you can actually walk through the places where King Herod's palaces were in Israel. When, this is the same King Herod that was going to kill all the babies under two when Jesus was born. right? That King Herod. Or, or references to Pilate who sentenced Jesus to the crucifixion. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of references through the artifacts. And so you're thinking, well, David, David, who is the character that's talked about in the Bible more than any other character, there must be thousands, right? You know how many, you know how many references have been found of archaeology that pointed that David actually existed? One. Just one. And it's in the little city of Dan in the northern part of Israel where the tribe of Dan settled when the 12 tribes came into the land. And there's a reference there that they uncovered that talks about King David. And as we're walking back to the bus after we're leaving that site, somebody was beside me, and you can tell their faith was a little, a little shattered. Like the great King David, the character that's talked about more than any other, there's only, we can only find one reference? I mean, was he really that great? Does he really exist? Mike, why don't we have more references? Why don't we have more finds about King David? And I said, you know what? This is what I think. I think because it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 9, God says, I'm gonna make your name great like the names of the greatest men that have ever lived. And God's like, I don't need any archaeologists or artifacts to make that happen. I'm God. Watch me do it. And here we sit this weekend, and every one of us have heard about King David. By the way, I got a Christmas present for you guys. And it's expensive buying all of you guys Christmas presents. But, I got, but you can't open it to July 17th, okay? On July 17th that weekend, I am flying over the guide that I partner with when I take tours in Israel his name is Eris, which means cedars in the Hebrew. He's 38 years old. He is a genius. He is a genius in the nation of Israel. It's history, biblical history. And I'm just going to sit down and we're going to have a chat that weekend. So we're going to, without getting on a plane, we're going to take all you guys to Israel. And it's going to, you will not want to miss it. In fact, if you're going on vacation around then, get back on a Saturday or don't leave till Sunday because you are not going to want to miss July 17th. But anyway, he will show you some of these things that we've been talking about. But the reality is everybody knows who King David is. But here's the thing. Did you know that God predicted that 3,000 years ago? God predicted 3,000 years ago that David would be great. We would all know who David is. And we sit here 3,000 years later, and guess what? We all know who David is. Now, let me just say, for those of you who don't believe the Bible's tr true, that is an incredible coincidence, right? You know what I'm saying? But anyway, verse 11. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. So this is Nathan still talking to David. 
When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Now, we talked about that last week, that God had promised David that one of his heirs would follow him on the throne. He thought it would be Amnon, his firstborn son. And if Amnon didn't work out, he thought it would be Absalom. But we saw what happened in that situation. You can go back and listen to the message. But I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Now we know it was Solomon. And then it says, he's the one who will build a house for you. In other words, Solomon's temple. So Solomon comes along. He gets to build the temple. He's the one who will build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggies inflicted by human hands. And basically what that means is this. is David, if your descendants disobey me, if they do wrong, I'm going to discipline them. And I'm going to use the nations around Israel to discipline them. That's what, that's what, that's what, that's what he's saying. Verse 15. But my, there's some big words here. My love will never, what do we say? Don't ever say never, right? My love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure, another big word, forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. In other words, Nathan says through God, listen, when you or one of your descendants stray, I am going to discipline you guys like crazy. But I don't care how bad you are. I don't care how much in the deep weeds you get. I am not breaking my promise. I am promising you that I am going to establish your throne forever. David, your name is going to be great forever. And understand, this is why Jewish people in the first century were expecting a Messiah from the line of David. That's why it's so important that we understand this connection between David and Jesus. It's because God made an unconditional promise. He made an unconditional covenant with David, and every Jew in the first century understood that. However, four chapters later, David does everything he possibly can to get God mad enough to break this promise. Because four chapters later, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, when David should have been at war with his men, he stayed behind at the palace. And he was walking around on the rooftop, probably drinking a Manhattan. Life's good. Looks over, sees Bathsheba taking a bath. I don't know if there's any connection between Bathsheba and that she was taking a bath or not. I have no idea. But he liked what he saw. And he invited her to the palace. And you know what happened, right? She gets pregnant. Bathsheba can't say, Hey, Uriah, it's yours, because Uriah, you know where he is? He's away at the battle where David should have been. There's no way it's Uriah. So what does David do? We saw this last week. He arranges for Uriah to be killed, and then he takes Bathsheba as his wife, and I bet he's sitting on his throne smoking a big old Cuban cigar thinking, I dodged a bullet. And there's a knock on the door. Because it says in 2 Samuel 11, verse 27, the thing David had done displeased the Lord. David goes to the door and opens it, and it's Nathan the prophet again. It's like, come on in, Nathan, let's have a drink, let's talk. And they sit down, and Nathan says, David, got something to talk to you about. This whole thing with Bathsheba, and you know David's stomach just knotted up because he thought nobody knew. And Nathan says, nobody else may know, but God knows. God knows. And it says that David fell on his knees and he repented. You can actually read that prayer of repentance. It's in Psalm 51. You should read it, Psalm 51. It actually gives you an example of true repentance looks like. There's a sense of brokenness and sincerity. It's like, I'm sorry. It's not like that. It's like, wow, I am really sorry. And, of course, this is what God said. I'm going to forgive you, David, because that's what I do. I'm a forgiving God. But I'm still going to discipline you. And it was brutal. David endured the death of the baby that he 
conceive of Bathsheba. As we saw last week, his daughter Tamar was raped by a brother, Amnon. Amnon was then killed by Absalom, who was Tamar's uh, blood brother. Uh, Tamar was actually uh, Amnon's half-sister from a different marriage. Absalom gets so mad about it because it's his sister. He goes and kills Amnon. And then he has all this anger seething, and so eventually it just boils over. And so Absalom runs his own dad off the throne, runs him out of Israel. David has to flee for his life. And it stays that way until Joab, who was David's commander of his army, tracks Absalom down and kills him so that David can return to the throne. Incredible. But even though God punished David, and it was brutal, his promise remained because here's our life lesson for the week. God is a God who keeps his promises in spite of our sin. Understand that. God is a God who keeps his promises in spite of our sin. And so 990 years later, a man named Joseph, who was from the line of sinful, unfaithful, adulterous, murderous King David, he takes his wife to be Mary to the city of Bethlehem. By the way, by this time in the first century, it wasn't even called Bethlehem. It was actually called and referred to as the city of David. So Mary and Joseph show up in the city of David because, as we know, if you read the story, Joseph needs to register for the census, and it was there that night that the baby Jesus was born. Now, I want you to think about this. When Jesus was born and he took his first breath, okay, in Bethlehem, he was the great, 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 grandson of David the king in the center, because God keeps his promise. And through Jesus, David's throne was established forever. That's why when you go see the Messiah, what are they thinking? And he shall reign forever and ever. You, know, you guys want to sing it? No, I didn't think so. But anyway, that's, that's what, that he will reign. David's throne is forever and ever and ever. And so no wonder Matthew draws attention to this huge indiscretion in the life of the man who is most closely associated with Jesus, I mean, when you're writing the book of Matthew, how do you skip over this? How could he just say, you know, Jesse had a son named David and David had a son named Solomon? It was as if Matthew thought, I got to draw the attention of my readers to this. Not just the fact that Jesus and David are related. I've got to draw their attention to the fact that David may be the biggest sinner of them all. And yet, in spite of his sin, God kept his promise. And the reason this is so important to Matthew is because, see, for the Jewish person, it's like the big three. There was Abraham, the father of the Jews, and then there was David, and one day there would be a Messiah. And so this is what Matthew's message is. Not even the great King David could approach God based on his personal righteousness. Not even the great King David could be in a relationship with God based on his good behavior. In fact, the only reason we even know today, 3,000 years later, who King David is, has nothing to do with archeological discoveries or artifacts. The only reason we even know who David is is because of the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. And yes, God disciplined him. He does that to people he loves. But he did not back off on his promise. So understand, David, as we wrap up this series, he is the perfect example of the fact that just like David, God has invited all of us into a personal relationship with him. And that relationship is not based on our consistency. It's not based on how well we behave. It's not based on our track record or how we perform as a Christian. It is all about 
the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. In fact, let me just tell you how this directly impacts your future. 1,000 years after David, when the angel showed up in Bethlehem that first night at the birth of Jesus, this is the promise they delivered. This was the good news of great joy for all the people, right? This is what they said, Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace. On earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now understand, the only reason that God can promise peace is because God knows he's getting ready to take care of those obstacles to peace. God knew that, God knew that he was getting ready to remove the guilt and the condemnation of sin. God knew that he was getting ready to invite all people to abandon them. You know, I'm trying my best to earn peace with God. I'm trying my best to, to find peace with God system. And every one of us here know what it's like to try to earn peace with God, to somehow find peace with God by things like, you know what, it's 2020, we're going into 2020. 2019 was not a good year. So I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder in 2020. I'm going to go to church more often. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to pray more often. Uh, I'm going to give a little more money than I normally would. I'm going to try my best not to kick my neighbor's dog as much. But somehow, I am going to earn peace with God. I am going to get in control of this situation. I am going to make it happen. But God hears that. You know what God says? Well, I got some good news and some bad news. I'll give you the bad news first. It doesn't work that way. But here's the good news. And it's good news for all people. Not just Jewish people, not just Christian people, not just holy people, not just good people, church people, not just Baptist people or Methodist people or Catholic people. This is good news for all people. This, this is good news for people, they don't even know there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. This is good news for people who have never owned a Bible and never even looked at a Bible. This is good news for unholy people, inconsistent people. This is good news for really, really bad people. I am offering peace to all men because I am removing the obstacle to peace. But here's the challenge, and I'm going to put it up. You will never know the peace of having your sin removed as long as you're trying to negotiate your peace with God. Let me say it another way. As long as you're trying through your own energy and your own good deeds to negotiate your relationship with God, you're never going to be at peace. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how consistent you are. I don't care who you're related to. I don't care how many times you've been to church, how many times you've been to mass, how many times you've been to confession, how many times you've been baptized, how much money you give. It doesn't matter. There is no peace with God as long as you're trying to negotiate it through your own efforts, your own good deeds, and your own works. Peace with God. Think about this. It is only found when we embrace God's promise. And what is God's promise? God's promise is this. I'm going to forgive you through the death of my son, Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to do. Sure, he's, he's just a baby being born in a manger right now. Give him 33 years. He's going to live a perfect life. And he's going to get convicted of something he never did, and he's going to die on a cross, and he's going to do it willingly, like a lamb led to the slaughter. And he's going to do it because he loves you that much. And through his death, he's going to pay for your sin so that you can be reconciled back into a relationship with me. So God says, listen, hey, good news for all people. All people, I am inviting you into a relationship with me based on the death of my son. And just as I kept my promise to David, God's like, I'm going to promise you peace right now in your life. Because you're going to know every night when you go to bed, my sins are forgiven. Past sins, present sin, future sins, all forgiven. You say, Mike, how do we know our future sins are, going to, are forgiven? Because Jesus ain't going to die again. They're all forgiven. 
And he says, not only that, cherry on top, when you die, you will live forever in heaven with me. You will have eternal life. You have the peace of knowing that. But it only comes through my son, Jesus Christ. Now understand, that's the gospel. That's what we call the gospel. That's the good news of great joy, and it's for all people. And that's why the angels proclaimed that first Christmas, unto us is born today in the city of what? David, a what? Savior. If we'd have needed financial help, he would have sent Warren Buffett. If we needed advice, he would have sent Oprah. You know. He said, that's not what they need. They need a Savior. They're a mess. They need a Savior. And so what did he do? He sent us a Savior because we need saving. And if you're here this weekend and you don't realize you need saving, let me just tell you, you need saving. You need saving. Let's be honest, people. We can't save ourselves from just the simplest issues of life. Some of you hear this. You did everything you could to save your marriage. You couldn't save your marriage. Save a child. Couldn't save your child. Save a business. Couldn't save your business. If you're like me, you can't even stop biting your own nails. I mean, how in the world... Do we think if we can't save ourselves from this, how are we going to save ourselves from all eternity? See, we need saving, so God sent us a Savior, and it's good news of great joy for all people, because Jesus picked up the tab, and it's free. And you say, well, Mike, hang on a second. We should probably talk, because you don't know what I've done, and, and you don't know how really, really bad I've been. You know what I would say to you? Read the story of David. Adulterer and a murderer. That's two of the top ten. I doubt there's anybody in here that's done that. And if you have, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here, right? <laughs> My point is, I doubt you're any worse than David, right? And, and he's the guy that's most closely associated with Jesus. I mean, how in the world could the gospel be any clearer than that? And that's why when Matthew got to David, he couldn't just keep going, you know? He couldn't just focus on all the good, wonderful, incredible things that David had done because David was the perfect example of a sinner, in need of a savior. David was the perfect example of a sinner in need of forgiveness. David was the perfect example of someone who broke his promise, who didn't hold up his end of the bargain, but yet he still experienced the faithfulness of God. And as God has done for David, he has done for all of us. If we are willing to abandon this negotiating with God thing, and if we're just willing to receive the free gift of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. I got up yesterday morning and I was watching the news. I don't really watch the news a whole lot. It's just too depressing. But I was trying to make sure the world didn't blow up overnight. If it didn't, I was going to come to work and preach yesterday. So I'm watching it and I hear this story that took place in Alabama. Somebody walked into a Walmart in Alabama, wrote a check for $45,000, paid off everybody's layaway. Now, I'm, young, I'm old enough and I've been poor enough to know what layaway is. See, some of you guys are, oh, we don't know what layaway is. We're from Kerry. But I, 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 I know, I know what layaway is. You know what layaway is? It's hopes and dreams. I'm, hold this for me, and here's five bucks. And I'm going to work really, really hard. And I'm going to pray really, really hard. And I'm going to do the best I can. And if I can come up with the other 20 bucks, I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to redeem it. And you're going to give it to me. Somebody went in and paid off all that for people. And they came to pay, and they're like, oh, no, no, it's taken care of. Paid in full. And not only was it paid in full, they got a note that said this. God loves you. Jesus paid the price. Wow. 
I wish I had $45,000. Wouldn't you love to do something like that? God loves you. Yeah. By the way, be generous at Christmas. The Lord drug me to Crabtree Valley the other day. See, this is the stuff you get if you wait till the last message. Because I got all afternoon. I got nowhere to go now. But Laura drug me to Crabtree Valley. You know how that is where you go and sit on a bench till she moves to the next door and you just sit there and hold the packages. So I said, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to take a little journey. Get off this bench. And I went and I came out and there was a lady custodian there. She has her little cart, and I'm sure she's going to have to put the little flag up and go in and clean the men's restroom. And I smiled, and as I walked by her, she said, Sir? I said, Yeah. She said, Merry Christmas. Oh, I had one $100 bill in my wallet. I reached in. I went and gave it to her, and I said, You have a Merry Christmas. Laura's not getting anything now, but she, she, <laughs> she's going to have an incredible Christmas. But here's, back to the story. God loves you. Jesus paid the price. And you know what? There were some people in a Walmart somewhere in Alabama walking out with toys and clothes and electronics saying, this is too good to be true. I'm telling you in the same way. If you hear what God did for you through his son, so he could be in a relationship with you. He doesn't care where you've been, what you've done, and the mess you've made while you've been there. That if you'll just receive what his son did for you, your sins can be forgiven and you're guaranteed eternal life. If you're thinking, yeah, that, that seems too good to be true, then you get it. You get it. You understand it. And that's why the angel said, hey, this is good news of great joy for all people. And you know what that includes? You. You. And don't go through another Christmas and miss Christmas. It's about Jesus not being born, but coming to this earth willing to die to pay for our sins. God loves you, stamped across our life, paid in full. Right. So this is what I want to do. I'm going to lead you in a little prayer to pray in case you've never made this decision to accept Jesus as your Savior. And I'm going to invite you in your heart just to pray it after me. Nothing magical about this prayer, but Paul did say in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can be saved because you have a Savior. So let's bow together, and I'm going to lead you in this prayer. And if you've never made this, if you have any doubt, any doubt that your sins are forgiven, that, that eternity is taken care of for you, just pray this prayer after me. God will hear you if it comes from your heart. Father, I believe that you are the great promise keeper. And as you kept your promise to David... God, I believe you will keep your promise to me. I believe you will forgive me. I believe you accept me. And I believe you love me. I will no longer come to you or avoid you on the basis of what I have or haven't done. Instead, I'll approach you boldly because of what you've done for me through Jesus, my Savior in my peace. Thank you. Thank you. And I come to you in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you just accepted the greatest gift that's ever been given to humanity. You just, in a moment, 
had all of your sins forgiven. You had stamped over your life, paid in full, paid in full. And when you die, you will immediately go into the presence of God where you will get to spend all eternity. And if you made that decision, let me be the first one to say, Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. And welcome to the family of God. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for this reminder of grace in our lives. Thank you for the Christmas season where we're reminded daily from seeing decorations to getting cards in the mail to hearing Christmas music on the radio. We're reminded daily that it's not about what we've done for you. Christmas is all about what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that we would learn to live in your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. But not only that, Father, in this dark, screwed up, messed up world that we live in. I pray that it would characterize our relationships with one another. Not just at church, but in our neighborhoods and where we work and wherever we go. Then there was the, there's, when there's an opportunity to retaliate or to get even or to get the upper hand, we extend what you extended to us, grace and mercy and forgiveness. Father, we pray all these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find out ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus.